Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Throughout our Advent celebrations, we have been praying this Advent prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. And through the words of the prophet Isaiah, we have seen reasons why we pray, Come, Lord Jesus. And today, Isaiah is going to remind us that Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us, that first Christmas. And he's coming again to take us to be with him forever. Have you ever seen a Christmas ornament like this? Kind of clever, I suppose, an idea to let everyone know that you're an expectant mother by hanging on the tree your due date and letting your loved ones, your friends and family know that, yes, that special Christmas package was going to arrive, well, in this case, about six months after Christmas. But I wonder, would it be strange if someone were to hang a little ornament like that on a tree that said, hopefully having a child in three, five, or ten years from now, right? We probably wouldn't do that. That would be a little bit strange. And yet, through the prophet Isaiah, God didn't announce a birth three, five, or ten years in advance. He announced a birth in 700, with 700 years advance notice. God announced not just that there would be a birth that was going to happen, but that this birth was going to be very special, a sign that God had come to earth to save. That's the truth that we get to ponder today from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 14. When we pray, come Lord Jesus, we can pray, come as Emmanuel, come as God with us. And as we pray that prayer, we see that it's God, our Savior Jesus, who dispels our doubts. And then it's also Jesus who displays God's devotion to us in his coming to this earth. Listen again to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Just a few notes about Ahaz, the person to whom Isaiah is speaking. Ahaz was one of those in a long line of kings that ruled over the kingdom of Judah. Maybe you remember that, that the nation of Israel had split into the two kingdoms after King Solomon, and Solomon and David's descendants were in the southern kingdom of Judah, and then there were kings that ruled the northern kingdom of Israel. Every single one of the kings in the southern kingdom were descendants of King David, but in Ahaz's case, he was the furthest thing from what David was like. The Bible reveals to us that, that Ahaz is a disaster, both spiritually and politically. If you were to read 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, what you would see about Ahaz is just how far his worship of false gods went. He actually was willing and did go through with the sacrificing of his own sons in the fire to appease the false gods. Second Chronicles also tells us that on every street corner in Jerusalem, he set up altars to these false gods. Politically, things weren't much better. Rather than trusting in God, he had made an alliance with the kingdom of Assyria, yes, the very kingdom that was going to destroy the northern ten tribes. And so in this backdrop, God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz, to speak his word. But it's not a word of judgment. 
It's a word of promise. It's almost amazing to think that, that God would come to Ahaz in spite of all of those failures and say to him, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to deliver my people, the people of Judah, because of my promises. So ask, he says. Ask for whatever sign, whether in the highest heights or the deepest depths. Really, it was a blank check that God gave to Ahaz. Whatever you want to see, whatever will prove to you that I will do what I have promised I'm going to do, go ahead and ask. Wow. Kind of blows our minds a little bit, doesn't it? That Ahaz would be given such an offer to simply say, God, I'd like to see this. But he doesn't. Instead, in a, in a false show of, of piety and humility, he says, no, 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 I'm not going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. He refused to ask for a sign. A couple hundred years before this event, God made a very similar offer to another descendant of David, this one, David's very son, King Solomon. Do you remember that God made him an offer as he began to serve as the king of Israel to ask for whatever he wanted and God would grant it? Maybe you even remember what King Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom, for a discerning heart, to govern God's people well. And maybe you can, even by the picture on the screen, remember one of the events that happened in Solomon's life to demonstrate the wisdom that God had given him. As he judged the case between two women who both claimed that the baby who was living was theirs. And how Solomon got to the truth and gave the rightful mother her child back. Maybe. Maybe we would like to have signs like that. Well, couldn't God give us signs, and, and doesn't he give us opportunities to see the same things that he offered to Ahaz and Solomon? You know he does, don't you? Do you know that God says in his word that you can ask and it will be given you? Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you? You know that God tells you to pray about anything and everything? You have the right, the privilege through Jesus to ask anything of your Father in heaven as if you are you're his dear children, because you are. You see, the problem isn't with what God promised. The problem is our attitude is often like that of Ahaz. Well, I shouldn't bother God with that. I, that's not something God's interested in. God wants you to come to him in prayer. He offers you to ask anything of him. As you can imagine, Isaiah wasn't too happy with Ahaz for refusing to ask for a sign. Here's what, uh, what Isaiah said. Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Trying the patience. That's what Ahaz says, or that's what Isaiah says to Ahaz. That's what you've done. You, you've tired God out. That's what the, the Hebrew word actually means. He's made God tired by his refusal to ask for a sign, his refusal to trust in the Lord. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? When, when Ahaz demonstrates that seeing is believing for him, then when God offers him the opportunity to see, he refuses to accept that offer. Yet God still gave him a sign, didn't he? And not just any sign, but a sign that would truly bring marvel and amazement. 
I love how God deals with people and how we get to see his grace here, even to Ahaz. If you would flip ahead into the New Testament and read Matthew chapter 1, the first few verses, it's a genealogy of Jesus. Guess whose name is found in the genealogy of Jesus? It's Ahaz. Ahaz is one of the ancestors of the Savior. But God's grace to Ahaz went even further. Instead of judgment, he gave him the sign he didn't ask for. Isn't that the way God's grace works for us too? It's not something that we ask for. God doesn't force it upon us. It's not something that we earn. Maybe it's really critical, or maybe easy to be critical of Ahaz. To think that God would give him this offer to ask for anything and he wouldn't take him up on it. But then I thought about my own life, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. Don't doubts find their way into our own hearts and minds? Don't we wonder if God really knows what he's doing from time to time? We look around the world, we look at our own lives and say, really, God? Really, all of your promises are still going to come true? But we confess that God is good, but, but when life seems to be off the rails, somehow it's difficult for us to embrace and trust that goodness of God. I wonder if Isaiah's words to Ahaz could not be spoken to each one of us, that we are trying God's patience, that we're making God tired by our refusal to trust in him. But here's the amazing part. The grace that God gave to Ahaz that's grace for you and grace for me too. When we think, woe is me, it's God who comes to dispel our doubts and remind us that he is the savior that we need. You want signs? God has given them. Signs that are incredible signs, starting with a baby who was born in a manger, a virgin birth, that Jesus came into this world to take on human flesh so that he could take your place and mine. And then Jesus went to a cross where he paid for the sins of every single person, including yours and mine. You want a guarantee that God has taken away all your sins? You don't have to look any further than the tomb that Jesus vacated on Easter Sunday morning. That's your guarantee that sin has been paid for, and because Jesus lives, you also will live. Those are the signs that God has given you. I want to take you back to my childhood for, for just a moment. And I know it was a long time ago, but, but maybe some of you remember cereal commercials growing up. Okay, now I have to tell you how this works, and especially for our students and younger people today. Believe it or not, there was a day where there was no cable television. There were no streaming services to get all of your, you know, television watching. There were three, three channels. ABC, NBC, and CBS, and every Saturday morning was dedicated to cartoons. But along with the cartoons that we would wake up and watch every Saturday morning was this inundation of cereal commercials. And every cereal had its own little mascot. There was the captain from Captain Crunch, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops, right? You have the Trix Rabbit, and then, of course, these three guys from Rice Krispies. Do you remember their names? You can maybe even see it on the screen. Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Because when you pour your milk 
on the Rice Krispies, those are the sounds that you're supposed to hear. And now I can see you're all sitting there going, what, what does this have to do with the sermon today? It wasn't just a walk down memory lane. I thought about this when I thought about how people want God to give them signs. They want it to be on their terms. And maybe we fall into this trap from time to time too. God, if, if, if my cereal snap, crackles, and pops this morning, then, then God, I'll know that you're going to do what I asked you. Isn't that how we do it? We want, we want God to give us some definitive answer. And so we try to, to paint him into a corner like, God, you'll do this if this happens, right? But we ignore. We ignore the signs that we already have. We ignore the love that God has already given us, the, the, the doubts that he's already dispelled through the promise of Jesus. And that's where we see his devotion to us as well. You see, what he gave to Ahaz is a sign that's for you and me too. It's a sign for the ages. A virgin will give birth to a child. Now over the years, there's been a lot of ink spilled trying to explain away the Hebrew word Alma. Yes, the Hebrew word can mean virgin. It can also mean young woman. And so people wonder, well, is God really talking about a virgin birth here if the word can mean young woman? Did you hear when I read Matthew's Gospel? That Matthew quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 7, and he says that a virgin will be with birth, with child and give birth. That word that Matthew uses, prothenos, that is a word that in Greek only ever means a virgin. And so God defines for us what's happening here. After all, what kind of sign would it be simply to say, oh, a young woman's going to give birth? No, the sign is that this is incredible. This is something that's never happened before. Maybe it's a good time to just think for a moment, why? Why did God have to send Jesus in the way that he did? Why was Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary as we confess? That's how God had to save us. He needed Jesus to be fully God and fully human in the same person. And that's the only way he could bring it about. Jesus had to be fully human so that he could place himself under the law for us. Jesus had to be fully human so that he could die on a cross. But Jesus had to be fully God so he could obey that law perfectly. And he had to be fully God so that his death would count, not just for himself, but for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world. That's what Jesus' sacrifice means. He is the Savior that we need. He came to this earth to do everything that we could never have done for ourselves. That miracle would have been enough simply to say there's going to be a virgin birth. But it goes even further. Isaiah simply says it this way. She'll call him Emmanuel. In Matthew's Gospel, we get the translation of what that Hebrew word means. It means God with us. And that's exactly what God did. He sent Jesus to take on human flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Not just to see what it was like to have life on earth, but to come to be our substitute. To come to take us to the joy of heaven with him. You see, that's where God's devotion to us is seen. In the promises that he's made through Jesus that your sins are completely washed away 
and that an eternal life is yours where God will be with us forever. See, that's what dispels our doubts. That's what shows us God's love for us. That's what gives us the opportunity to move forward in life even when things aren't going the way we'd like them to. God promises that everything is right with him through Jesus. And God promises that he won't ever leave us or forsake us. Some takeaways from our message today. Number one, when doubts enter our hearts, only God's promises will overcome them. In Psalm 94, the psalmist writes this, When doubts filled my mind, your presence gave me comfort and gave me hope and cheer. Number two, Jesus' manger, his cross, and his empty tomb are God's signs that he is our Savior. Isn't that exactly what the angel said to the shepherds that first Christmas night? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger, and that's exactly what the shepherds found. Number three, God displays his devotion by promising that he is with us every day. Here's what he said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm going to take you back to the beginning of the sermon and those expectant parents waiting for their child to be born. And, and I think you can picture with me that, that as those months passed and the, and the birth was getting closer, that there were probably some discussions about what the child's name would be, right? And, and some thought goes into that usually. Maybe it's a family name that they're going to be given. Maybe it's a name that both parents uh, like and, and it sounds good. Maybe it's a name where the meaning the meaning of the name is why the parents choose it. The name that God chose through the prophet Isaiah for the Savior Jesus to come, that has tremendous implications. Emmanuel. In the Hebrew, the E-L, that's the God part, and the Emmanuel, that's with us. The name means God with us, and that's exactly what Jesus came to this earth to demonstrate. That God took on flesh to take your place to give you an eternity with him forever. That's what dispels doubts. It's what displays God's devotion to you. And it's what leads us to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come as Messiah. And we can hear our Savior's own words. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.